Bum, ba bum, 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 bum. You like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Real Weirdos. Jesse Ketman with my co-hosts. Jeff Casino, how you doing, my friend? You feeling feeling sexy? Feeling loose? Oh, I'm feeling great. This movie's about me. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, right. I'll, well, I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, I'm one of the men. Alex A. Bear. Hello, hello. How you doing, man? How is the uh, sun-baked wasteland of L.A. treating you? It's uh, it's baking. It's sunny. There's still three million people who decide that they want to live and drive on the freeways here every day. So, but dude, you live there, so you get to like party with George Clooney and stuff. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get to like do cocaine with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, that's been fun. Have him talk to you about like hot dogs, like ramble at you. <laughs> that's hollywood baby yeah it's hollywood baby (laughs) so today we're talking about the 12 monkeys terry gilliam film from 1995 yes sir question mark 1995 starring bruce willis and a little known actor called bradley pitt Mm. that people might have heard of um Jeff picked this movie. Um, Jeff and I have both seen this, I gather, many, many times. Um, Alex has not seen it, which is interesting and surprising, really. But Jeff, do you want to talk real quick about why you chose The Twelve Monkeys? Yeah, I mean, with Twelve Monkeys, it exists in in a realm of movies for me that I really hold close to my heart, you know, these early 90s sci-fis. I put this movie in, like, the same category as, like, The Fifth Element and such movies. More Again, with Bruce Willis, the the heyday of Bruce Willis sci-fi movies. But um, It's when Bruce Willis used to care about acting. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, don't, I, just, I was just going through a list of movies that I was thinking of suggesting, and this one just kind of popped out to me immediately. Because it's such a special movie in that it has such an all-star cast. It has such great acting, really fun cinematography, and good camera work. It's directed by Terry Gilliam, which I just find hilarious in, <laughs> in, its, in, in its own right as a Monty Python yeah. fan. For people not, not knowing Terry Gilliam, in addition to making some truly great movies like Brazil from 85, uh-huh. He was, he was the Monty Python guy. He did the Monty Pythons. So for Terry Gilliam to, to go from, well, not go from, I mean, obviously there's a lot of films back and forth between this and Monty Python, but for this to be one of his pieces of art is so funny to me that like he that he came up with this. And he also kind of like, he's part of the credited in the screenplay for it, which is interesting too. yeah he usually is i just can't it's just funny seeing terry gilliam writing this like high sci-fi it's funny because when you watch the movie and you know that you can see that influence like peeking through there are some moments in this movie especially like when it's in the future world and it's like it just has this bizarre quality that transcends like like the dark bizarre and becomes almost comedic like it's not comedic, but the tone somehow is so ridiculous that it feels comedic. Mm-hmm. It's less comedic than something like The Fifth Element, um, but 
not quite so serious as something maybe like Blade Runner. Like, like Blade Runner has that like serious noir vibe to it. There's like no moment where you like break a smile because you're laughing at something funny happening on the screen. But in this film, even from the start when he's like lying in the bunk with his buddy, there's like this energy that, I mean, it is like a very mid-90s kind of like energy. But it's not hokey or anything like that. And it's not like a comedy film, but it, it just doesn't seem to be so... I don't even want to say the word pretentious, but it doesn't seem to be as pretentious as something like Blade Runner. I think a lot of what makes it seem like have kind of those Monty Python elements to to a certain brain is that this movie was relatively cheap, actually. He didn't get a huge budget. It was $29 million total, which for a movie like this is not a lot. So they really had to, like, do what they could with sets and practical effects. I think Bruce Willis took zero salary to make this movie. He only got paid after it was released. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And stuff like that. Brad Pitt didn't get a lot of money. Um, it's an interesting little moment in Brad Pitt's career because when they made this movie, he was still unknown. But by the time it came out, of course, you had things like um, Interview with the Vampire. Okay. And... uh uh, what's the one where he like fights a bear at the end and it's like the Brad Pitt glamour show? Oh, what's that one called? I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, why can't I remember this? Oh, it's like the original I'm Brad Pitt and I'm very pretty. Really? Movie. Yeah, and it's like pretty good. I feel like uh, there's a lot of those of movies. Right now. Legends of the Fall. Oh, Legends uh, of the Fall. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anthony Legends Hopkins. Legends of the Fall. Aiden Quinn. And then Seven, I believe, came out earlier in the year before 12 Monkeys as well. And that was like, okay, this guy's this guy's one of the big big boys now. Mm-hmm. True. He's gonna be. Yeah, this movie it sits in a weird place because it sits in this B movie structure with A list actors and a really great director. And a really fun screenplay, but still has the freedom and mobility to stretch the the definitions of science fiction and even comedy into making like the least confusing time travel movie I think ever made. And I think that's like one of the, its biggest strengths. It takes all these elements and blends them together in such a clean and easy to follow way that by the end the twist i guess you could call it that is satisfying and you it helped you come to that same conclusion so by the end you were like yep that i could see that you know you were it helped build you to the end very nicely Mm -hmm. so is this is this like the the jeff's brain choice in order to like have a time travel palate cleanser after tenet <laughs> yeah like maybe that's what i was going for like subconsciously was like i was like all right this i, I need a time travel movie that actually like works in, in to a degree this also stretches a lot of th- there's no real hard science in this movie yeah no it's just like some weird people send bruce willis to the past yeah let's set this up if people haven't seen it which you should i mean do you agree alex that people should see this movie oh, yeah you, we haven't yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so Bruce Willis is like in the future after some sort of biological catastrophe has happened. 
And we don't see a whole lot of like what this society is, but it's like some sort of like little prison planet, it looks like. And they send him into the past to to gather information on who like did this bioweapon thing that made humans have to live underground. And he gets like he gets into a series of wacky adventures in an insane asylum and other places. And eventually he starts thinking like I must be crazy because he meets Madeline Stowe's character who's like a psychologist and she's like, you're demented. <laughs> and, uh, but spoilers, um, watch the movie, but spoilers, uh, he was right all along and Bruce Willis wasn't crazy. And blur, goody, blur, goody, blur. They do a good job of showing there's, that. There's your, there's your really immaculate plot summary, people. Well, this This movie is... Really, it's it's nuts and bolts. Its best attributes are in its set pieces. It really is able to create these tactile, breathable set pieces that feel not real, but feel like something that could exist. And you see influences from this film everywhere. I've had so many little things here and there so many little details i've seen in other video games and other media so this is definitely a very influential science fiction film but at the same time it's so unique in the way it's created this future that's so backwards to what the the present is supposed to be or the past in this time but also at the same time very much like a mirror universe in the way like that people with mental illness are treated in a way like it shows him being scrubbed down in the same manner when he was decontaminated and when he was taken to the insane asylum. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of like tr- this tongue in cheek parallel between like this chaotic future and the present and how we like approach mental illness. Yeah. There's a darkly comedic social commentary at work that, that, echoes back to what Derry Gilliam did in what I would consider his best film, uh, which is Brazil. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, the the set of doctors, you know, like that board of doctors that are sending him to and from the past, um, they're hilarious. I think that, like, they have, like, this weird Monty Python kind of energy in the movie where you're just like, no way, is the, like, is this what the future is really like? Um I love the little thing that like you can see all their faces that like little ball of like technology that goes the little Star Wars yeah ball. like yeah. goes right up <laughs> yeah. to his face and you can see all of their different faces like looking at him and monitoring him. I thought that there was something to be said about like like you said Jeff like this idea of like this almost comical satirical view of what we would see mental health as in the future. It. It rides the line between serious and comical in a way that like only Terry Gilliam yeah. knows how to do. Yeah. Well, it takes this idea of it in the future because of this mass extinction and this need to live underground, everyone's crazy. If uh-huh. you put somebody underground for most of their life and then let them go up above ground, they would act the way Bruce Willis acted when he was like in the car with her, which I would say was is the scene that he seems the most mad in, is when he's like laughing and smiling at the music and breathing in the air. 
that would seem mad to somebody, but that's just a natural reaction to being above ground after living underground your entire life. So there's these really great parallels here, but at the same time, he has this brilliance of of making it seem like Bruce Willis is the only sane one out of everybody in the future. Like he's the only one that like remembers things. Like they send him to the future specifically, or to the past, excuse me, specifically because he remembers things. Because he, not the scientists, but he can remember long strings of numbers. So you already have lost total faith in the the authority figure of the future. Yeah, like the, uh, oh, the boy in the barn, right, with the pipe. Like, that's like the first big thing. When he's in the car, I believe, listening to music is when he says that because she's listening yes. to it on the radio. He's like, oh, they're going to find her in the barn, right? And then when that actually happens, that's when it, for Madeline Stowe's character too, that's when she's like, holy shit, like maybe this guy actually isn't crazy. <laughs> So they had a they had a thing going. I think like Terry Gilliam was unsure if he wanted to make the ending ambiguous or not. They ended up going it's not ambiguous. By the end it's not ambiguous at all. It's like this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um uh do you like I I respect that in this movie. I think that works. Like I like that I don't have like, you know, like your little Ridley Scott bullshit at the end of Blade Runner. Is he a replicant oh, or God. not? Yeah. Replicant. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, that ruins Blade Runner if he's a replicant. It does, yeah. And he's not, by the way. Exactly. And if you think so, you're wrong and read the book. Um, <laughs> but like, do you agree with this movie? I like how it's just, it's it's a complete package. You know, it doesn't have these loose ends in this case. Well, yeah, I totally, I mean, that's why I consider it one of the, my favorite sci-fis, at least of my childhood is because I, as a kid understood it when I watched it, you know, mm, 10 years point, old, yeah. maybe when I first saw it, I understood it for, from end to end. <clears throat> I didn't need some kind of, uh, you know, web, I mean, back then there weren't websites, but you know, I didn't need to have it explained. I didn't need multiple watches, like a lot of other kind of, uh, cerebral sci-fi that I would watch at the time. This movie was just... It, it did so well at conveying what was going on, who were the major players, and setting them in places where the time travel made sense. And that is what I love so much about it. Is It, it just it makes sense. And, and I just want to circle back real quick, Alex, to your little point about the little orb mm-hmm. that had all their faces in it. And I, I have a couple influence comparisons, like things I've seen that have been definitely influenced by this movie and one of them is if anyone has played the video game fallout new vegas there uh is a dlc for fallout new vegas called big mountain where you are taken to a kind of isolated industrial science complex and questioned by a board of albeit robot scientists but each of these robots is an orb of like mouths and eyes and faces. <laughs> That's cool. Just like, so there's just like there's these little influences that have trickled into other media that have up- also the whole tone of that the whole tone of that DLC yep. is comical in a Terry Gilliam way. It is for it's sure. very silly, but still kind of runs the the line between silly and serious mm-hmm. because there is a lot of like death and darkness in this area called big mountain and it's just there's a lot of influence of 12 monkeys in that dlc and it just popped out to me right away when i was watching this again i got some matrix vibes too 
So, Alex, like, what were your thoughts watching this for the first time? Because I was jealous. I was jealous that you got to watch this for the first time. Um, It was like, so I started it, and I knew it had something to do with sci-fi. Um, and I had seen pictures before, like stills or something like that, of Brad Pitt's character. Um, so I knew that he, he like came to this film. His character has kind of like a lot of energy. But I didn't realize like the actual context of the story. Um, but I thought that this movie, like when I started it, it was kind of like, I was like saying to myself, okay, what's going on here, right? But then the movie would very smoothly like explain it to me in a way that wasn't too convoluted or anything like that. And we talk about movies sometimes that like try and carry too much on their shoulders or like back themselves into a corner with the amount of themes that they're trying to bring up. And you guys are talking about how this movie's really tight and like clean on the edges. I feel like that's what the viewing experience was like. It's so clean. It's such a, I don't want to say it's a simple story, but it's so easy to follow and everything is done so well and every scene is necessary. Um, that I don't know, to be honest, I, I like keyed in really on like this, like kind of dramatic struggle with Brad or not Brad Pitt with uh Bruce Willis's character of whether he was crazy or not. Um, and it had me really convinced. You, you do have a nice, you do have a nice, middle section a little bit where you as the audience do question is he crazy exactly and i thought it it answers it for you pretty quickly but it is nice having that yeah you know um little backstory for anyone listening i've always had this movie i've like owned this movie for a very long time it's just sat on my shelf um and it was still in a shrink wrap when i took it out to a to watch it so i've definitely like that's crazy i know i don't know why crazy you hadn't seen this there's every reason for you to have seen (laughs) this and no reason not to it's almost like you know like there are movies like train spotting there are movies like um you know uh the big lebowski these random little cult movies that also a lot of young people or just people who like movies in general will say like oh have you seen this oh you gotta see this right it's not quite so far as holy mountain area region but it's like oh these are movies like that kind of fall in between the cracks but you should see them i had that done with so many movies train spotting is like the biggest one i can think of but none of my friends or anyone i ever met suggested to me like oh you need to go and watch this movie like it would just be kind of like a passing thing like oh yeah this movie's okay but never really talked about it so i really had no value judgments or anything i had no idea what this movie was actually going to be about um yeah it's it's a weirdly over the top kind of movie and yet it's not it's it's difficult to put your finger on exactly what it's doing except to say that it's terry gilliam mm-hmm. well, <laughs> you it, know it doesn't oh it doesn't introduce themes that a overstay their welcome and b get left on the on the boilerplate and that's two huge strengths in its favor are kind of like what you were mentioning alex is that it it doesn't create themes that you get bored of or that it doesn't answer quickly it'll create a, a situation give you the exposition really cleanly and nicely and then now okay we're all on the same page that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah it's a solid plot with that allows the visuals and the actors to play 
Yeah. Like Bruce Willis in this movie, it was so strange because it's been so long since I watched a movie where Bruce Willis actually did acting instead of just saying lines. Mm -hmm. And he's like really good in this movie. I did have a question though because there's a few moments where I thought, is Bruce Willis's performance just like a little too crazy? <laughs> given that, like, within the context of the movie, he's not actually crazy. Well, I think that speaks to what I was talking about before about our interpretation of crazy. I think that's almost an intentional. I think you're asking that question is a success on Terry Gilliam's part because your question you're supposed to be questioning. What is crazy? That is the subtext, I believe, of the movie. And like I was trying to say, is like he's been locked in a prison cell for most of his life, what I would assume would be a quite a long time. And so his behavior, I never interpreted as crazy. I interpreted it as a man who is being sent back through time yeah. to figure out what's been going on. It's almost before. rodent-like. Yeah, exactly. He's very much like a rat in a maze. And he has he takes on that role so well where he at some at certain points is thinking, "Okay, well, this is my mission. This is what I have to do because I want to be pardoned. I want to get out of prison. <laughs> I can't I, I can't change the past." And he says that yeah. a few times. And then by the end, he has way different motives for what he's doing and and, and it turns out to be true. You can't. And then he, the performance tones down there as well. Yeah, you can't change the past. And once he accepts that, and that, I, I kind of saw that the toning of down of the performance came at the airport, I believe. Once he kind of realized, like once he saw her with the dyed hair, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, okay, like this is, uh, this is my dream. I've been seeing what I've been supposed to be doing. This is my message to myself. Here we go. Yeah, the the overacting and I think it I think there is some overacting there, but I think it works because because so much of the movie has this like garish overstatement of things like the the, the movie uses like cartoons and different yeah. scenes yeah, yeah, yeah. to heighten its like ridiculous tonality or like Bruce Willis will be like he'll be pulled back into the future and he's like drooling cuz they gave him drugs yeah. and he's like under this under this blanket that has teddy bears all over it <laughs> and it has this like it's like this childhood aesthetic but also like grimy and weird and like no it's definitely a big play on this whole like um arrested development or like this being locked in childhood being locked away because you know he was a kid when he saw the murder of himself, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of like time poisoning, I like to call it, is you know when when the when one timeline starts to affect the other, not in the kind of like a grandfather paradox way, but just in a slow and sinister way. And I think that was definitely something that was a factor for him was that this kind of like. Because the world short ended very shortly after that, so he was pretty much just stuck at that age. Apropos the acting, you also have, which I'll ask you guys what you think is the best scene in the movie in a minute here, but when you have Bruce Willis overacting as a crazy person and Brad Pitt overacting as a crazy person with Terry Gilliam directing, <laughs> the results are fucking wonderful. 
the whole the whole sequence in the mental hospital is one of my favorite sequences in cinema. It's so good. The rent of the whole movie could have been that that sequence. The whole movie could have been like a warped one uh, one flew over the cuckoo's yes. nest. Yeah, exactly. Like like it was. <laughs> and I would have loved the whole night like ninety two minutes, two hours of it. I would have loved it if it was just that, but it wasn't and what it, the other things it was was fun too. But and I, I love that you you read my mind, Jesse, because I really wanted to go and say like, how about Brad Pitt's acting in this movie? Yeah, like, could he do that today? Do you think like I don't think he has the energy? Would, would, His hand movements are the same. Oh no, I was thinking like, would the political correctness minds just lose their marbles? Oh sure, over the Brad Pitt performance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking that's about that's insensitive. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, there would definitely be some kind of like you know whatever. Oh, that's what you mean, like uh, on mental health. Okay, because yeah. I was yeah. like, did he say anything like over? Like, did he say anything crazy while he was doing his diatribes in the movie? But no, I, I know what you're saying now. Like, that's not an accurate representation of what people who mental health go through. Yeah, yeah, but Ugh. it's like it's such a good performance. Whatever he is pretending to be is so spot on, and I love like the little details, like his eyes. Yeah. So the his, uh, what's going his on with pupils. that? I. I, I don't know, and I'm sure... I'll tell you. I, okay, I, know, I knew, I, I'm sure Jesse you. would know. All right. Terry Gilliam was trying to get the performance he wanted out of Brad Pitt, and he ended up taking away his cigarettes. What? Wow. Yeah, he took away Brad Pitt's cigarettes, and then he got the performance that he wanted. So, the, so part of just the manic behavior was just like a guy withdrawing from nicotine. <laughs> that's awesome I mean, not to take away from bad brad pitt who is brilliant in this movie i think it's one of his best roles it is so overstated but at the same time like the nuance with which he does everything from like his little visual tics to i don't know him playing with the environment just everything about it is is perfect for this movie yeah i mean the writing is so good that when he's going off on these rambling and crazy like things that he's saying you can tell that brad pitt is in the movie too like you're questioning whether or not bruce willis is crazy but i was also questioning brad pitt stuff you know because some of the stuff he says is so coherent and lucid in the midst of all of his jumbling and jumping around with like his pants off but like the escape scene he blends his instructions to bruce willis's character in his crazy tirade while he's running around he's saying things like oh now's the time to do it right like now if anyone wants to go they got to go now or like last chance and stuff like this and i was just like holy shit and to do that as an actor to like contain all that energy but to still be like moving the story along and not just being some weird caricature of a crazy person i thought was is really good by like young brad pitt right i will say his his hand movements the way he does the like finger guns when he's talking sometimes and snaps his fingers, that is still very Brad Pitt today. Like he does that, his his hand movements are the same. And I thought that was just like a funny little gem to throw out there. Also, a lot of man ass in the movie. Oh yeah. If you want to see both Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt's butts, this is the movie yeah. for you. Yeah, I kinda in the same movie. I was this movie kind of made me realize how much I enjoy Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis's butt. 
yeah, Bruce Willis's naked form, and also it's a well sculpted man, long legged oh, yeah. women in short skirts. Oh, Madeline stuff. Yeah, before before we get too far <laughs> away though I, I had a i had a, a moment when watching brad pitt and i was like this could almost be a tyler durden origin exactly story. exactly oh yeah some of his rants some of his rants are very durden-esque they're very uh kind of chuck palinuk influenced kind of these like hard quick cut rants that still have like a lot of cohesion and, and, and points to make about society. I mean, some of it was like socialist and Marxist propaganda almost verbatim mm-hmm. <laughs> just being read out to him. And it was, it was really great of how he was able to tie all of that into this really seemingly nobody of a character character. Like, cause at first Brad Pitt's character seems like, just kind of somebody who's going to be a side character. Cause there's a large gap where he's not in the movie between the mental institution. And when we see him again yeah. in the, uh, in the, the, the dinner party, it's quite a large chunk of the movie. He's not present. So it's kind of strange the way they, they did that because it almost seems like at first he's just going to be a character you meet in the insane asylum and that's it. And he blended that role so well into what, I really feel it's the point of the movie, which is like, you know, this structured, almost corporatized approach to mental health has created more harm than it has good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know the homeless man that also speaks to Bruce Willis sometimes when he's underground? Oh, I was going to ask you guys about that. What's the deal with... Bob. Bob, yeah, I kept calling him that. Um, I I like that because going to this idea of like maybe we look at crazy a little too wrong. Like that guy was spot on with some of the stuff that was happening to Bruce Willis's character, and was really kind of like a almost like a guide in a in a certain way, like a spiritual guide. But it's made me like rethink now. Like every time I walk down the street and there's just some rambling homeless person, I'm like, hold on. I have to rethink this and like listen to what they're saying. Are they trying to like inform me of some crazy like apocalyptic society? But that's so amazing to say <laughs> that because that links perfectly into the second big influence that I feel this movie has done again on a video game because that's just my background. Mm-hmm. But there's a video game out there called Indigo Prophecy. It was also called Fahrenheit in in Japan. Okay, but it's a narrative based game not many people have heard about it but it's really really dark and sinister and there's this whole underpinning of like the homeless that like know what's really going on and what's really happening and they end up being like the last bastion of like human survival in this like neo nuclear winter future it's very interesting and uh and i there's a lot of again a lot of that subtle 12 monkeys influence in that game as well did you like that character jesse did you like the homeless the homeless man or did you think that he was like significant i don't quite know actually because that's the one part in the movie where i'm like still like okay what's going on Mm -hmm. because he's uh, he's very liminal yeah he's a very liminal trickstery kind of entity where you're not quite sure what reality he's inhabiting because he inhabits both and neither and you never quite get an answer as to like who he is 
or what's going on with him um whether he's just like an invention by bruce willis to a certain extent or not yeah i don't know if you guys have an answer or thoughts on that it's kind of hard i think it's kind of like i mean if i'm literally just spitballing here if i were to have to say what who he was i would say he was probably like the last thread of san- what we would call sanity in bruce willis's character's mind like it was the only thing that was still keeping him on track and keeping him i guess on the real objective not the objective he was sent to do and not the objective that he thinks he needs to do but like the true objective to like complete the time cycle i guess if i if i would just literally like throw it out there but yeah. that's that's all i, I can really this come goes, up with this goes into like the scene with uh elizabeth debicki at the end of tenet where i'm just like eh whatever yeah yeah all right movie like it doesn't matter like everything else is so cohesive it doesn't matter but like it's it's interesting you you brought up a thought there about the narrative and the narrative structure and it's kind of a bleak fucking movie because like at the end nothing you do matters is what it's saying. It is bleak. Like everything will play out as it's going to play out. And you already know that even if you don't know it, it's like fed to you subliminally. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the world's going to end. Everything you did was for nothing. End credits. <laughs> Wait. Well, they kind of, they give a little a bit of a tease the there. Yeah. They give a tease there at the end because they like David Morse's character meets up with the female. Females. Yeah scientist and it's like is she the future version of herself or is she no the past version of herself yes really she seemed she i see i didn't i didn't agree i don't agree because i felt like it was she was the same exact age as she was in the future oh i think that was her for sure from the future once they they needed Bruce Willis to kind of hone they in like on got it. the exactly they they got the info they needed Bruce Willis to play the part he played in order to lock down who exactly it was that like mm. unleashed the virus so they locked it down and then they sent her back yeah. because she's like the like the lead scientist researcher she uh, and she uh, repeats to his character what he says to Madeline Stowe at the uh, he paraphrases, not repeat like verbatim, but what he says to Madeline Stowe at the book signing, where he's like, you know, it's actually like the people destroying the environment that are the insane ones. And then she says, man, something about humans and like people and something like that. And he goes, yeah, I agree, actually. I think you've hit the nail on the head um, with this weird red wig thing on, you know. And then she goes, he asks her what she's in and she says, insurance. And I'm like, yeah. okay, okay, this this is the insurance. You going back in time, she's probably, I'm thinking like she blew up the plane. Oh. Like, or she kills yeah, she him is. somehow so he doesn't spread the virus, right? Oh, well, he already, right. he already spread the virus right? in a small way. Yeah, like he lit that guy like, sniffing. Before, before he could spread it worldwide. Yeah. Because this, because it was first detected, they said, in Philadelphia. Oh. And that was probably the first detection was in that airport by that, like, officer. And then, or by that, like, airport uh, person. And then you move on from there into 
the rest of the world, but she came back in time to stop that. Yeah. And she, you guys could be right. You could be right. It could be more hopeful than I gave her credit for. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, man, how, how gritty was all that Philadelphia stuff? Though? Oh, when he goes Jesus. up, Jesus, just the city. It's so gnarly in this yeah. film. Well, yeah, I mean, Phillies can be pretty gnarly, but it's. I think it's supposed to draw the parallels between, like, the steamy, gnarly future underground and, like, this, like, gross above-ground Philly. I think that's kind of supposed to be, like, the parallels. Yeah, that's a good point, because, like, he doesn't ever come up to the surface, right? And he doesn't, like, it's not like he comes up in, like, the hills of Ireland or someplace where it's, like, super gorgeous and beautiful, right? It's like he trades the underground steelwork and, like, steamy, almost steampunk-like atmosphere. And then when he gets up, it's like, oh, like, this is, this is the way that the world is. And, like, the mental hospital, I mean, I hope that mental hospitals were at least a little more advanced than the 1990s then, but, like, Holy shit, that was like a scene straight out of Amadeus, right? Like, Man, I don't even know if they're better today. Yeah, I mean, the, the ones that are like... Unless you pay $8 billion. So, what what was your guys' favorite scene in the movie? I was going to ask you this earlier, and we steamrolled right <laughs> over it, which is cool, but I am curious. My vote is the whole hospital sequence, for sure. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Like, There's other smaller scenes in there that are really fun. The, the the whole kidnapping sequence I think is pretty interesting. I think it's kinda cool like how he's like frantically gathering information and it's like he looks crazy but like things are lining up. Mm-hmm. Like when he when they like hog tie the people together, the like hippies and they're like getting the information <laughs> and she's like sitting there like, Oh, well like this guy's obviously violent and crazy, but at the same time like these people are confirming what he's saying. And so, like, I thought that was cool, but yeah, the hospital sequence, the 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 the, the asylum sequence, is is the most like it's the strongest sequence in the movie. It's it's funny, a lot of the plot happens there, a lot of the exposition. It's just it's just good. The that scene, I I I'm having trouble picking like a favorite scene. Um, also, but I mean, like that scene is amazing. I probably would pick that scene, but to try and you know, for the sake of like difference, I really don't diversity exactly i i honestly my favorite line in the movie is in that scene which is are you also mentally divergent i love that guy i love the dude wearing the tux uh, when he comes up to him oh yeah he's like i actually i don't actually live on hermaculum yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm like how are you so like lucid to your situation yeah. like it's just like i'm crazy i know i'm crazy but I actually, I'm like legitimately in this other place in my mind. And then the, the camera pans down and he's wearing bunny slippers, right? <laughs> like that's Terry Gilliam with his like, that's like yeah. just perfect right there. I have um, another great line. Hey, hey, is that the cops? I'm an innocent victim here. I was attacked <laughs> by a coked up whore and a crazy fucking dentist. <laughs> yeah that made me legitimately cackle like that was such a good line i had uh, to write it down uh, there's there's a few things like i really like how they set up the technology for the future it's such a strange way like he gets back 
to the past via time spiders. Wait, that's what happens? Yeah, so those spiders, they, the one he swallowed, they ask him yeah. when he comes back, they're like, how, they're like, what did you do with your such and such device? And he was like, oh, well, I didn't have anywhere to put it, so I swallowed it. I don't uh, I don't think that's what that was. I think he was just like collecting samples, but he didn't have somewhere to put it. I don't I, I don't know if that had anything to do with the 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 time. There was some there was definitely the teeth. I don't, but I don't think the don't spiders know. was a thing. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I just kind of felt like that was like a, th- a recurring thing the spiders. Maybe we'll have to pay attention to that on our rewatch. The future like is still like I mean there's always Terry Gilliam, Monty Python, they always like to poke the belly of like, you know, the big dominant culture at the time. But I think that it's so funny, like how incompetent some of the, the future scientists are when they're sending him back to like the wrong time periods and shit. He's like, no, you sent me back to this time. And they're all like, oh, really? Shit. Like, oh, I didn't know that we did that. Oh, and then they, they sent him, him back to, to the One. trenches in <laughs> <Yeah>. 1917. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. It's like Terminator style. He just shows up butt ass naked, right? <laughs> that, <And> like <laughs> that scene is so out of place for the whole movie, but it's still so perfect. And it's just, yeah. like, you can tell they shot it on a budget. Too, oh, it's so I know. It's shot in just a studio <laughs> with the lights turned down. Like it's so. But the camera work in this movie, I think, is something that's really unique too. This this movie utilizes a lot of which I think was pretty unique for the time, at least were these like interesting sh- ways to shoot like these interesting a lot of diagonal angle work a lot of low down camera shots a lot of shooting from the ground or like shooting from right below somebody doing like these strange wide um wide sh- wide like wide close ups if that makes sense to uh-huh. where there's like distortion from the lenses and then a lot of negative space in one corner I don't know, just a lot of interesting shot composition that I feel is needs to be mentioned. I don't know where exactly I'm going with this, but it just feels like it needs to be mentioned because it was, I think, specifically unique for 1995. So, if the movie has a worst element, what do you think it is? And why is it Madeline Stowe? <laughs> yeah, she's not. She's I've not seen great. Her in another she's film. not. Yeah, she's great, not a good actress. She's not a good actress. I looked at her IMDb and I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> I was like, what else is she? In? You know what she reminded me of? I like the movie Dogma, and every like that movie is full of great character actors and people being great at what they do. Everything from Chris Rock to to George Carlin to Jason Mewes. But then that central actress, I don't remember her name, she plays Bethany, is just, like, bad. Mm-hmm. She's so flat and has no range. And I'm not comparing directly Madeline Stowe in this movie to that, but that's what what it reminded me of. Um, and I think, like, Madeline Stowe is better than that in this one because she is... Uh, I think she pr- provides, like, some necessary grounding and I think that's possibly like Terry Gilliam directing her to act kind of flat because you need some kind of grounding in relation to who Bruce Willis is in this movie, right? She has mm-hmm. to be like the straight character. That being said, she's still a little, eh. 
You know, if I were to pick a, a flaw in this movie, it would be her. Yeah, she has a tonal, uh, she has tonal issues with the way she delivers her lines. Her her happiness, elation, is out of place. There's a couple times in the movie where, like, she thinks that things are are better. Like when the twelve, when it's revealed that the twelve monkeys actually just like freed zoo animals, mm-hmm. and that was like their whole thing. It was. She the way she acted in the cab was very unconvincing. It was this very like, ha ha, like overly joyous kind of attitude. I don't know. She just some of her tone was was interesting, and and her line delivery just wasn't great. I yeah, I just I she was definitely I think the, the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, she. I've seen one other movie with her and Kevin Costner and uh, Anthony Quinn. It's a ridiculous movie. It's. I don't know. I don't what is it? Talk about it. it's. What is it, it? It's like a a movie. Let me look up the name. But it's about Kevin Costner is like friends, right? He's like just happens to be friends with like this huge narco down in Mexico. This older man, played by Anthony Quinn, and he, Anthony Quinn's like, hey, come down to my pad. You know, spend a few weeks with me. We're just vacationing, playing tennis. You know, doing a bunch of blow, all that shit. So Kevin Costner goes down there and he falls in love, of course, with the narco's wife who happens to be Madeline Stowe playing a Mexican woman. And oh, my Lord. Yeah, it's just, she's just so bad in it. Like, <laughs> I, all I could think of was that movie every time she was on the screen. I mean, I think she's extremely pretty. I, like, I don't want to be the guy that's just like, oh, they're all pretty. You know, that's the only way you measure an actress. But, like, with her it is for me, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's great. She was, yeah, she was, I think she played her role decently. I think she had some issues with uh, line delivery and tone, but she was, she wasn't horrible. But in a strong movie like this, she was definitely the weakest part, I would, I would have to yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say if the mo- there was one thing, I mean, it would be cool to see this movie made. Not a remake, but like if Terry Gilliam never made this You remake film, it with Leslie no. Nielsen as Bruce God, Willis? No. <laughs> but if they like did. Uh, this movie, like if he just did it in the present time, maybe when technology was different, it'd be cool to see maybe how he would do some things otherwise. Like, but the limits that this movie has based on its time period of when it came out do nothing to like detract from the movie. He didn't try and over like overachieve what he could when it came to effects or set design, like Jeff was saying, or things like that. I thought that was all like. I don't know. It's really hard for me to find something wrong with this movie. Like I'd understand if someone saw it and was like, Oh, I didn't really like it. But personally, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just think that this movie was like, it's such a nice package and it's so well done. Like, and it's so unique. Exactly. Uniquely Terry Gilliam. It's dark and gritty and grimy and crazy, but it's also like, has this, undercurrent of dark comedy that's it's it's a very specific tone and it's not a tone that is gonna jive with everybody for sure it was made at the very end of what i would consider like the second big wave of science fiction like it was made at you know the the late 90s the early 90s mid 90s is when like voyager and enterprise those star trek shows Mm -hmm. were kind of just coming to well, Voyager was just had just ended. Enterprise was coming along. There was a lot of like 
dregs of like the height of like Star Trek and Star Wars and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, you see definitely. this with like the Fifth Element. You see, like I said before, you see this. I, I wish I had other movies to compare this to. But there's a lot of this this type of this type of high sci-fi that came out in the mid '90s. And it was like kind of the last dying breath of this genre before it got really revived again in the mid two thousands. For what I'm considering right now, we're in like the third big rise with like you know, Interstellar and Nolan, a lot of hard sci fi. But I don't know. I would you agree? Would either of you agree? Like, there's other movies out there that are very much like this that have this B movie aesthetic with A list actors. And I can only think yeah. of two right now, unfortunately, <laughs> both with Bruce I mean- Willis. Dark City is a movie I believe has the same kind of vibe or energy as this one, but just yeah. much darker, much darker. Um, I love Dark City, but no, I think you're right. There, there was definitely like I think Ghost in the Shell, which is I mean it's an anime, right? But like it's a very influential sci-fi anime, was coming around out at this time. There was um, Event Horizon, yeah. also. You know, um, definitely. I guess you could put Jurassic Park in it, where it's kind of like this feel goody, mm. like adventure. Yeah, like, but Jurassic Park is like this, like top tier, high oh budget man. film. I've got, yeah. I've got one for you guys. What? I've got one on for this conversation. So last night, me and <laughs> my friends Ben and Volnick watched a movie from the same year as this little movie called Waterworld. Oh Christ. Starring Kevin Costner. Um, we watched the three-hour Ulysses cut. And I really didn't know what to expect. Because it's a movie, it's like, it's what I call a dad movie. Because it's like one of those movies that me and my nerd dad watched a lot when like I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting it to be terrible. And we were so thoroughly entertained for all three hours, and I loved every minute of Waterworld, to my great surprise. Damn. And it felt like exactly what you're saying. It felt like a B movie that's like like um, some studio would make for half a million dollars to capitalize off of not Star Wars, but like Mad Max. This whole movie is basically like a goofy-ass mad max on the water it has the most absurd dialogue you have dennis hopper just devouring the scenery as the bad guy (laughs) and smoking and like opposite the the steady um kevin costner role where he's just so um so uh like i don't know flat Stoic. stoic yeah but yeah the movie it feels like it feels like a B movie that was given $8 billion and it's all up on screen and like all this talent and it's amazing. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like the moviest movie. Everything about it is just so movie. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's wonderful. I, I wish you guys had been there. I, I can't believe we Dennis got Hopper. through all three hours. Yeah, that's we crazy. Were like, yes, that was time well spent. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Hopper is like the one person in that movie that I have like burned in my brain for some reason, the images of him. Um, he was an interesting actor. That guy was an interesting dude. Um, 
But I will say, did you guys ever see that Alien 3 movie? Or like some people say Alien Cubed for some stupid yes. reason. Okay. David Fincher. That vi- Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, okay. he disowns it though. Okay. I guess the studio fucked him. That movie had the same kind of, like the prison colony had the same vibe to me as the 12, as 12 Monkeys. Um, but you know, it's hard because I, I don't know if it just has the same vibe because it's from the same time period. So I think of movies in that sense. I'm like, okay, what was what was little Alex doing then, right? Like, like I build like little worlds or little, I don't know, how do I say this? Sites in my own history based on the aura of the decade, which I think a lot of people do, right? But whenever I watch movies, I kind of like bring those feelings to the viewing, regardless of what's going on. But I liked it. I thought it was like, I liked the... I liked Alien, the third one, is what I'm saying. I liked the the world that they built or whatnot. Um, I'm honestly almost tempted to do an episode on Waterworld. <laughs> no, go fuck yourself. I it. think it would be so <laughs> go funny. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, it's great. It's so great. No, you heard it here, folks. I do not <laughs> co-sign this bullshit. <laughs> what? I will you say... Seen it. Everyone does. 20 years. We seem to be doing this pattern, you know, where we're like suggesting movies and things like that, and like we'll watch them. So, if it does come down to it, and it is, and Jesse does pick it, I will have to, uh, for the sake of the real weirdos tradition, uh, as so far, I would have to, uh, I'd have to just sit down and watch it and give it a whirl. But I think, I think if nothing else, when you finally come visit us, Alex, we should hang out and watch it. Yeah, It'd be fun. I would be definitely down to do that. So 12 monkeys, 12 yeah. monkeys. <laughs> that, me the 12 monkeys. It. That's really fucking we, good. We know how to end a podcast. <laughs> That's right, baby. That's right. Um, Jeffrey McElroy casino. Have you seen anything else this week? Um, yeah, yeah, I've been kind of trying to think about what to recommend, but everything I want to recommend, I also want to do an episode on. So it becomes oh, okay. a, a little difficult. No, you can do both. That's fine. Um, all right. Well, do I go back to you? Do Alex first? Yeah, do Alex first because I, I'm, right. I'm kind of on the edge here. Mr. Alex, quote unquote, Hebert Bear. <laughs> What's your recommendation? <laughs> That's perfect. I or just something you saw. To that. Uh, I've been watching um, The Handmaid's Tale, the TV show. Um, I hadn't seen it before. I had read the book, and we talked about it a little bit in sci-fi. And so I decided to give it a little whirl, and... Uh, it's a little unnerving obviously i mean it's about like a dystopian fucking like crazy society but just the way that the society comes to power in the film is like a without giving anything away it's like a very ultra conservative waspy puritanical roots of america decide to rise up and just get rid of all of like what they call like gender traitors uh you know adulterers things like that and, and they like create this new society and they do it based on like terrorist attacks on Congress, on the Supreme Court, and then eventually like the White House, and they just take over that way. So anyone who was alive this year and saw what happened on January sixth and then goes and watches this this show, it's a uh, it's very on the nose. So yeah, there's that. And then I'm rewatching Deadwood right now, which is a great like Western 
show with great writing and just great acting. Not from everyone. There are definitely some a few bad apples in it, but um, it's like the most Shakespearean Western show I've ever watched. And if you guys can get it, or if people listening have HBO Max, it's it's a good show. Nice, nice. I haven't seen any of these. Alrighty, I'm ready. I had. Oh yeah, Jeff. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No. I just. I'm... I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I had one more note on Twelve Monkeys, oh. and it's real quick. Um. I loved that they were watching Hitchcock movies in the cinema. Damn it, I wanted yeah. to bring that up. Uh, I have that I in my seeing, notes. I loved seeing Jimmy Stewart on there. I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah. The twelve. <laughs> it was the 24-hour Hitchcock fest. Uh, that and was I also lucky. had a thought. I was like, I was simultaneously, I was like, yes, Jimmy Stewart and <laughs> Hitchcock. And I was also like, Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe in this scene are exactly why I'm not excited to go back to movie theaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Because they're just chatting away and people are. are like, shush. <laughs> I know. I loved that scene, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I love that movie that that's um, pulled from when they're looking at the tree. You know, and it shows the little markers of the dendrochronology, like the rings, like 1066 this was the battle of hastings this tree was here doing its thing um but when he says you know she says here here i was born and here i died it's like it it speaks so well to bruce willis's adventure in this movie right he sees this little like sign marker of like he doesn't know what what's going on in the airport he's like i remember being a kid and seeing this memory over and over and then at the end of the movie he can be like oh well, this is where I died. And I just thought that that was a very good tie to the high, you know, a classic age of Hollywood. But yeah, that was a good point. I totally 100%. forgot about Alfred Hitchcock. A hundred percent, man. Jeffrey. Yeah. So, you know, I have a recommendation and then a good stay away from. I'm going to start with oh, the, nice. re- the recommendation. The recommendation is a movie called Kill Your Darlings with good old Danny Radcliffe. Okay. And it is, uh, I really, I mean, if you're interested in the beats and the beat generation, uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays Ginsburg, and it's just a pretty nice and well-acted biopic to that era of literature and art, which is an era that I hold very dearly. So uh, Kill Your Darlings is definitely the recommendation to stay away from. So there's a horror movie that I have heard of over the years, and I've seen so many people recommend, and I never watched it because I'm not into these type Ooh. of movies. What's it going to be? It's called The Descent. Oh, oh. I like The Descent. It's trash. <laughs> it's, it's, I like it, it. It's such trash, and I can't get over how bad. It's, it's only... It's only redeeming factor is that everyone dies. <laughs> it, it's, I don't, I just, I could, I handle it. The dialogue was awful. I mean, I get that it's a movie that takes place in a cave, but like Jesus Christ, I couldn't see a single fucking thing that was going on. It's got crazy amounts of shaky cam. It's just start to finish a big old giant fucking tampon sandwich and i'm just not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna go into it so i love that movie and i think people should watch it i've never seen it i've hovered over it many times and like it's been like Alex, should i watch this you should wa- maybe we'll watch it on like a b movie night or something <laughs> it's so bad so dumb 
There are moments in that movie that I love. I I don't know. It's been a, such a long time since I saw it, though. I couldn't speak to it in any detail. But um, <laughs> so, yeah. that's a that's a strong don't see it from Jeff. <laughs> and Jesse says, "Go right ahead." <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I recommend Waterworld. <laughs> oh my god. 1000%. <laughs> this is not a joke. I legitimately recommend it as like a just a ridiculous spectacle. Watch the 3-hour version. <laughs> Watch the 3-hour version um, of a terrible movie. Is Jesse's suggestion. No, it is terrible, but it's not. It's like it's like a it's like a Roger Corman movie with talent and budget and it like Half of the movie knows how ridiculous it is, and the other half doesn't. And it's such a curious and fun interplay, and it's just such a movie. It's the popcorniest munchin thing you'll ever see. <laughs> but but I also saw a movie that I don't recommend, but becomes kind of interesting towards the end. It's called Underwater. It came out last year. It stars Kristen Stewart as Ripley from Alien. Oh. Um, and not really, but oh, okay. yeah, that's like, the vibe. Oh, and okay. I think that's why she chose it is because she gets to like be a badass and run around in her underwear or something. Nice. Um, so it's like uh, the only thing I knew about it is that it was like an underwater horror movie. So it's like I'm sold. I'll watch it. Yeah. I like horror movies. I like creature movies. I like water movies. Uh, like Waterworld, yeah, <laughs> and others. Uh, not hard rain. Hard though. rain. <laughs> um, but it's like she's in this gigantic undersea, like drilling facility in the Marianas Trench, and um, stuff goes wrong immediately. And there's like explosions and water, and she finds some survivors, and they try to get out. And all I know is that it was like gonna be some kind of creature. And the movie's like kind of boring. Um, the performances are okay. It's just kind of an okay movie. It's not shot particularly well. But in the second half, or maybe the last third, the Lovecraft fans out there, it has the best, like, holy shit, it's actually Cthulhu. Oh, nice. Moment. <laughs> and it's like an awesome rendition of Cthulhu. Oh, that's and cool. that kind of redeems the movie. It makes the hour and a half kind of worth it if that's something you're interested in seeing it's just like an epic cthulhu that's crazy i did not know it was going there but as a lovecraft (laughs) fan i was like holy shit movie redeemed kind of (laughs) so i forgot to do a stay away from but i have one that i have never seen um which is going to be kind of weird i guess hmm but there's this movie coming out that I just saw the trailer for called The Tomorrow War. And it has Chris oh, Pratt. Oh, Chris Pratt. Don't see this movie. The, t- the trailer <laughs> looks what if it's good? fucking horrendous. The movie looks so convoluted and fucking bad that it's just like, I just, ugh, I, I don't know. I, I've never seen a trailer that has like turned me off of a movie so much. But I think it might just because I just saw Tenet and the like premise of this movie is like oh there's a war in the future and they're drafting people from the pet and i was just like i can't fucking do this right now i can't do see this. i'm gonna i haven't seen this this trailer i've seen that it exists but i don't usually watch trailers because they spoil the whole movie 
Um, it looks so bad. But I was like, I also didn't watch it because I know that I'm going to watch the movie because if it's like a big budget sci-fi coming out, no matter how terrible it is, for some reason I have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am going to watch it. I'll report back. Got <laughs> I'll it. report yeah. my findings. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> oh, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening 100%. Ugh. Man, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. Forgive me. I kind of jumped in there because I just remembered about no, this trailer. it's totally fine. Yeah. I don't know. So um, the big takeaways from today. Number one, go watch Waterworld. <laughs> number two, uh, go watch The Descent. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> number three. Don't watch 12, 12 Monkeys. Monkeys. Yeah. It's pretty good, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And uh, that will do it for this week. Oh. No, I remembered. Nice. Oh my God, glory, hallelujah, my friends! I've remembered this this important information. Next week, we're going to be tackling a movie called Mank, which I have not seen, but I'm very excited to see. It's uh, from one of my favorite filmmakers, David Fincher, and it's a movie that apparently like seems to be made just for me. It's about early Hollywood and the guy who wrote Citizen Kane, and is like sarcastically drunk and taking on Hollywood or something like that and it's in black and white so it's a very artsy fartsy fuck you I'm a movie snob kind of movie perfect for me and um, I don't think any of us have seen it but that's my decision for next week because I saw that this existed somehow escaped my radar and I was like it's gotta be this it called to me Alex will cleanse a palate with something just god awful yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll find something right after. Alex. And then, Alex. I'll, and then I'll pick the only good movies on this podcast. <laughs> Alex, choose Waterworld. <laughs> Do it. So this next movie we're going to be watching is Mundo de Agua, which is, I don't know if anyone's heard of this. <laughs> uh, is that a movie? No, it's means, it means like Waterworld. It'd be like the literal translation oh. in Spanish. I don't even Give know if that's what they so call white. it. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. All Thank right. you everybody for listening. Thank you to my my delectable um and handsome co-hosts of course. for hanging out. Of course. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Always good to be here. And we'll see y'all next week. See you next time, folks. Ba ba da bo.